Hello and welcome back to the Art vs. Commerce podcast. This week, Dallas Taylor. He's a sound designer, currently based out of uh, Washington, D.C. with his company, DeFacto Sound. And uh, first time sitting down with a sound designer on the show, really enjoying, you know, last week with the production designer, now with the sound designer, really enjoying talking to other facets of the um, collective creative process. I think that it's just, you know, because we're all coming at it with our own creative ideals and the things that we like doing, but they just are figuring out the ways in which they express themselves on either a set or in post-production or, you know, pretty much how they are impacting the final end product. His ascendancy to where he is now is super interesting. I think that it's fascinating how he, you know, originally started in music and that that has obviously a natural connection with sound design now, but how he got there and the way that he transitioned from one place to the next, ultimately getting to what he wanted to do most, which is, you know, create these absolutely stunning beautiful soundscapes their work is just inc- incredible I, you know go to defactosound.com check it out like in terms of what they are all about you know they do advertising stuff which is you know very high end very clean clients like Audi and Red Bull network promos with Discovery National Geographic they do video game stuff too which video games are from a sound design perspective more than half the battle and you know what they bring to the table they, he did a um a presentation at Masters in Motion a few years ago where he showed how many, I, th- I don't know, it must, must have been over a hundred different audio layers and he just kept adding maybe five to ten layers at a time and just seeing, there are moments where I thought like, what else can you add? Like, what else is there? can you even do? It sounds amazing. And then, you know, he'll add another 20 tracks and it's really, it's a cool thing to see. It's a cool thing to watch it get broken down because you really see how someone can look at a, at a product that you think is finished and see so much more opportunity for what can be done. Um, so in terms of, you know, films, a lot of short docs, you know, when I asked him if he can name some staff picks that he was a part of, he's like, you know, <laughs> there's just a bunch. And, and that's also kind of the benefit of being a vendor on the post side. You get to work with a lot of really talented people and you get to be a part of a lot of other people's babies. And I think that that's, that's always really enjoyable and you start to hang out with a lot of really talented folks and companies and that's what they're doing so they've worked with in terms of you know people that have been on this podcast they've worked with variable ryan booth andy baker um so you know that community that we're talking to they all foster each other's work and then in terms of documentary they uh, did sound on blood brother which won sundance and almost holy which is in theaters now but it's screened at tribeca so i think that's the other thing too is just it's so eclectic you know it's it's all of these genres and the sound isn't genre specific it's really just bringing the talent and the ability and that's what they're doing so you know it was also nice just talking about how he's trying to build a business and the success that he's that he's found in doing so with de facto sound and um he's just a really thoughtful well-spoken guy who can really articulate the way that he was thinking about things at any given moment in his life so just a really one of those one of those podcast episodes that are it's a layup from where i'm sitting because uh dallas is the man so uh yeah dallas taylor so i spent most of my life wanting to be a trumpet player and then that morphed into wanting to be an orchestral conductor which I feel is almost identical to in a, in a lot of ways to what I do now. So uh, sound for picture, it took a little while. Um, sound in general, it's something that was deep 
uh, from really early on through trumpet playing. Trumpet playing, tr- the trumpet was the only thing I was really great at in in high school, and that's really what led me through life, uh, friendships, college, uh, and beyond. And then uh, at some, you point, were thinking that you were going to do that professionally. Yeah. Um, through college, I morphed from playing trumpet to really wanting to be an orchestral conductor. I found it, uh, amazing, like fascinating to be able to take a group of 50 people of, you know, the amazing musicians and then craft things, uh, which, you know, if you think about it from a standpoint of what do I do, what I do now, um, mixing and conducting are incredibly similar. You don't really, you don't have your finger, you don't have your, your, you're still relying on the sounds themselves and the performance of themselves to work, but you can still craft and mold and process. While you were making traditional music, were you also viewing commercials or movies and being really um, taken away by the sound of that? Or w- w- was that not part of your music musician's head at the time? Not not at all a part of my musician's head at the time. Uh, I was... Uh, 100% of my life was consumed with playing the trumpet, focusing on music school, um, focusing on classical and jazz right on. performance. And it was a transition mainly toward the end of college through some performance anxiety that kind of forced oh, really? my hand into another field. A couple things. I, I started to teach a little bit more um, on the high school and college levels and different groups and things. Teaching music? Teaching music, yeah. I thought I was going to go to eventually be a conductor or a band director or something like that. But over time, uh, it was something that, you know, through this bout of performance anxiety, it kind of put me in a situation where I wasn't actually enjoying the process mm. anymore. Through that discovery, I went to recording school. Uh, I'd always dabbled in MIDI or you know computer stuff at the time and uh, found it fascinating. And just like most people, I went to recording school initially to think about music. I almost instantly, within days of being in recording school, uh, realized that the actual like music industry part of it, recording studios, was not the vibe that I wanted to, that, I, that I'd ever thought about music. Was um, that discouraging? Very much so. I mean, because it sounds like you were also in a really like transitional headspace that the performance anxiety and like you're still trying to like hold on to something in the industry and then you go there and you don't like it. That sounds, how old were you when that was happening? I was about 20, 21, uh, 20, 21. And it was discouraging because I had only thought about music in a sense of a very classical setting, uh, yeah. very high, you know, hours of practicing, you know, something where I would spend so long in a practice room trying to perfect something that only I could hear. But whenever I went into the recording situation, I felt like it was who it was everyone like pretending to be the coolest person in the room. It was about <laughs> the experience of it over yeah. the actual what was coming out of it. And so, yeah, you can you can have some cool stuff come out of that. It's just not it's just not a world I wanted to be in. So, what other options did you feel like you had at that point? So that's where I started to like think about like picture and television and film and things. And I think that uh, little bits of exposure. So I really went from like days into recording school, going from like I want to record music and produce music to television, film, games, absolutely. So it was like a very like hard switch. And then once that focus was set, it was like off to the races. And but how did that happen? How did that become? Because if you were just so hardcore into classical and uh, jazz and, you know, very much musicianship versus anything else with sound, how does that, did, were you, did you also have a love for movies like, like growing up? Like where does that come from? Yeah. So I did have a love for mu- for movies and very obscure music as far as on a pop, more popular sense. But yeah, just, uh, it, 
I was going through a lot as far as like just uh, you know something that I loved the you know the thing I loved the most was performing and playing the trumpet uh, was kind of turning on me with my own like psychological mm. you know performance anxiety you know mm. it's, if anybody gives a big speech in front of a lot of people uh, imagine that you know you're doing is that a constantly thing. I almost went to school for saxophone so yeah. I get it jazz was a big part of and especially when experience. you know big stress for me was like performing because I was at the top of all of my ensembles. I was typically first chair in most things. And uh, so I was doing a lot more solos and a lot of people was, were relying on me and it just became incredibly like stressful. And even though you had the talent, cause clearly yeah, you had the talent. It wasn't worth it. Like it's almost like what, you know, thinking about it now, it took me years. Like after I left playing trumpet, it took me years to actually start to enjoy music from a real pure, pure standpoint, because all I thought about from all this class, this classical music and all of this, these beautiful or- orchestral pieces is I was just waiting to hear the trumpet excerpt that I practiced 8,000 times coming up. You know, it's like I would listen to a symphony waiting for the trumpet excerpt because that's all I, you know, I heard that over and over and over and over again. Mm. That's not a healthy way to think about music. I wanted music back in my soul. I know that exact yeah. thing. It's like with a lot of filmmakers that I know and a lot of people, a lot of friends of mine, you know, there is the struggle of whenever you're thinking about it for year, year after year after year after year, sometimes you lose just the actual, just the simple story being told in your it's soul. It's a big choice you need to make if you, if you want to make your hobby your career. Because yeah. like, there's, there's different ways to love something. Like I was really wanted to be a sports broadcaster and I realized that I actually like, I loved sports too much. Yeah, you know? totally. Like when we were, when everybody was cheering in the stands and I had a notepad and I was writing and they're all celebrating around me and I'm not like that really, that bothered me in a, at a core level. Like with filmmaking, I'm actually okay with that being hard and not romantic. Basically. I, I wanted sports yeah. to stay romantic with me. I want to watch, you know, I, I want to watch game of Thrones yeah. for the story and just to, I want to be a nerd and geek about the, all the little intricacies and stuff. I don't want to watch game of Thrones thinking, Oh God, more than anything in the entire world. I wish I was working on that. So all my friends would think I'm super, super cool. It's like, that's not like, I want the purity of that mm. art in in my soul. You, you don't want to be the sound designer on game of Thrones. It would be cool, but I don't want to lose the, I mean the story. I want to be a nerd about it. You know, it's like, uh, I'm happy for the people who do it, but, and I'm happy for the people who do, you know, some of the, my, my favorite films, but I kind of don't want the curtain to be lifted on some things. I want to be a nerd on things and I don't want to think about sound. It's going back to trumpet playing where listening to a symphony, just waiting for the trumpet excerpt. I don't want to watch something just listening for sound design. I want to watch for the purity of it and be a geek about it. Right, right. How did you turn, once, once you made this pivot, how, did you know... Anything about the industry? How did you go about figuring it out? Because up until this point, you had been busy caring about something else entirely. So I was in the mecca of instrumental, like band stuff, uh, Texas. And um, there was really not a whole lot of options on the film and television side. So I went to the most obvious place, which was local television. Got an internship at the NBC station in Dallas uh, in the camera department. Knowing that I wanted to do sound, it was just I had to get in any way possible. Um, uh, you know, they were they thankfully called me back on an internship. Uh, did a little bit of um, internship. They luckily, it's like as soon as I got there, almost day one, I immediately gravitated to the audio side, and that did uh, a lot of really really cool things. The the audio person there uh, took me under his wing and really started to teach me a lot about processing and prepping and uh, with with news and live. Uh, programming uh which turned into my career for the next few years uh doing live sports and live 
um, entertainment and news. It's all about pr- preparation and then live performing. And you so were finding like, that you liked it. I enjoyed it. The I didn't, same, the same yeah. like bad vibes you were getting from this from a recording session. You weren't getting at the studio. Yeah, if I'm if my fingers are shaking, I could just take my fingers off the fader, and nobody would know. Uh, if my lip is shaking while I'm playing the trumpet, it comes out obviously slightly problematic. No, well, not even not even from the playing perspective, but you were saying from the being the engineer, right, and being in there and like getting just a bunch of musician vibes that you didn't like. That's what you were saying that you experienced as well. Oh, on this in this case, prior. Oh, prior. Yeah. Uh, well, what I learned through television, it was a totally different breed of person. Right. Like it was just a totally different way of thought. Everyone was just incredibly like professional and mm. nice and like there was no pretending a less it, ego it sounds like. none really right. I, I mean i never really caught a lot of that uh, at least in the these local states it was just you know people who were doing their job and it's really a local were tv out. station yeah you know and they, not- they did a great you know they at this place it was a really big market so they were paid well they were really professional they really you know they enjoyed their job they enjoyed their life and there was no like you know Thing, like ego about the whole thing so it's just I, I was I immediately just coming out of the music school aspect of it I just like immediately gravitated toward the professionalism right of it and so I love I, it, it, the, the actual personality of the industry is what gravitated me toward that as you're going through that are you starting to pick up on inclinations of how much you like sound design yes what, what was it was experience? becoming obvious yeah it was becoming obvious how that so? I, uh, through this journey I was seeing like you know, looking at television commercials, starting to now critique film and television from a sound perspective, uh, I started to listen to the world more as if it was a symphony in ways. You know, it's like hmm. there's, we had, uh, you know, what I do now is is I craft environments uh, and craft, you know, non-environmental elements and all of these things that like you don't really pick up on if you're not listening for it, but it does affect mood and it affects yeah, the way that you yeah. think. And, uh, and so, so yeah, it took a, took a bit of time and I had took a very like zigzaggy path into the industry, uh, or at least into the post-production side, because I knew pretty, I mean, from that moment I went from wanting to be a conductor to being a sound designer was almost instantaneous over the f- a course of a day or two in recording school. Was there anything bittersweet about that? Cause I mean, it's, it's almost like you grew up with a certain dream of being a musician, right? And then you let go of that. Soul crushing. It was like losing a best friend whenever I wow. whenever I stopped playing trumpet. I mean, I, I played trumpet, I don't know, 15 years or so thereabouts every day, all day. It's what I got all of my acclaim for. It's what all, everyone knew me as. It's a big part of your it identity. Was my identi- yeah, it was absolutely it was my identity. identity. Yeah. And, um, and putting it down was heartbreaking. And it took me, like, I'd say like a good five years to like lose that sickness in my gut over it. I mean, it's like a relation. It's like a long-term relationship. Yeah. Yeah. But. There was obviously some excitement. Yes, where you were headed. So you're saying, like, in a very short period of time, you came to this realization about you wanted to do post. Yeah. Was there any? Do you remember anything in particular that like had that, for lack of a better term, eureka moment? You know, I don't think I had the eureka moment in the actual work part of it. I think the eureka moment was just like, I like these people. Like, they're my people. I, I it like. It was a vibe about just it was like very being nurturing. in the room. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, it wasn't like a, I like that. I'm the coolest guy here uh, as a competition. It was a how can we help each other? How can we get better? How, it's like as mo- almost welcome in that room. Absolutely, yeah. And so, uh, how did you? Obviously, a TV station isn't exactly a high end post shop. So, what were you planning an exit? And yeah. Like where you wanted to go after that? Did, what yeah, was so, that experience. So through that time, uh, it gave me enough time to reflect, finish up school. 
And I went, uh, we decided, my wife and I decided to move to LA because, uh, you know, we have to go somewhere where there's actual work. So we went out there, especially early on in the career. Is she involved in anything? Related? She has been. She. I also met her in uh, college. She's a flute player. So it's the trumpet player, the flute player, uh, perfect little <laughs> band story. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so she, uh, we decided, you know, if we want this to be a part of our life, we really need to change the way that we were thinking in Texas. It was really like band and orchestra focused and we could have gone down that route, but it was not at all film and television. We had to, especially being in our early twenties, make a giant decision just to see, just to see what would happen. That's what it's about. Yeah. And you know, it's like we were young, we didn't have kids. We were wanting to explore. It was a, it was a great opportunity. So we uprooted, went to LA through NBC. I'd got a job uh, mixing the same thing, sports, entertainment, live uh, news. Uh, at so that was making you, you technically know. savvy. Yes. And I, I was working at Telemundo of all things as, as a non-Spanish speaker doing live Spanish television. That got me in the door. That got me over to LA too. That seems like a hurdle. Was that, was that, did it not matter so, at all? It's like, not so bad. Uh, it's not so bad because there's a teleprompter and they speak incredibly clearly. Right. So there's not any confusion any of what's Spanish? going on. Uh, nope, not at all. Oh, okay. Out of the three or four years at Telemundo, not Opp- at all. Opportunity missed. I know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so then once you get to LA, you kind of land yeah. on your feet, sounds like. And I'm, I'm, Did you have that set up before you left? No. Okay, it was a, so you did move on a leap of faith. Yes, absolutely. Uh, How long did it take? Not too long with the Telemundo thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that there were some pokers in the fire with that, but it wasn't okay. really a guarantee. That's what I learned with LA. A good piece of advice just across the board. Um, I assume this is relevant to New York as well because I, I wasn't focused on New York at the time. But LA, I've learned, and I still continue to learn this, that uh, through other people and friends who are moving out there, yeah. that no one's, I mean, generally speaking, there's a lot of people who want to move out there, but they're like, I got to line something up first. Like no one out there is ever going to give you a job until you're there. They all I, pretty same much thing in New York. It was the same. Just let me know when you're in town. Let's get coffee. Yep. Um, but you have to make the commitment first. You have to put in six months on the ground, wherever you are before things. You just go. need to be present. Yeah. If the, if that's where you need to be. Yeah. Uh, so went out there, uh, got that job that also led into live mixing at Fox doing higher profile national type of stuff. Uh, but but eventually that led somebody that I knew over at G4 who worked with me at Fox finally kind of like put in a good word, which now full circle gets me into post, which is G4 was a video game network, a really cool video yeah. game network. Yeah, that yeah, I, yeah. Were you, because at the time that you were doing higher profile stuff, because I could see people getting blinded by the fact that it's high profile and that you move to a big city and that you got a good job and that like you're afraid of losing that for something even better. W- yeah. Was that a fear or how, like no, how did you at the time I was very much at post audio sound design is what I want to be doing. And that was live. You were convinced. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that was, that was a cool thing. I got to, you know, meet a lot of celebrities and mic them up and, but it was a talk show basically. I mean, right, it's right, talk right. shows you and news. You weren't getting your creative stuff. juices really flowing. No. I mean, it was very much like a technician's role, but you're, you, you are a very creative technician through the process. Mm. Uh, you are um, solving problems, right. solving problems on the fly. But again, it's just like doing live sound for television. It's a lot of preparation, just like a practice room, just like my trumpet for moments of performance. I'm trying to move away from that through my <laughs> yeah. life. You know, I want to be yeah. in a controlled environment where I can spend, where I can spend hours on uh, a few seconds of content. And then when it, once it's done, it stays done. I don't like, I don't want to accept that my best performance is going to be in the practice room, which is something that's said often in the, uh, in the classical music sense. Mm. I want to make something, create something and it stays stuck. 
like once it's created, it goes out and I don't have to feel stress. Like I, I want to create understand. as a creator, not just as a, the stress of a performance. I want to remove that element it's in my life. So, yeah. No, now it's starting to make more sense that the live working in the live TV stuff was a truly transitional period, at least from a mental headspace, regardless of the fact that it's not playing music anymore, because you're going still from a live performance to another, something else that's live, mm-hmm. but it is teaching you the technicalities of sound. From it was a, a great a bridge. Mixing, yeah. You know, no, there's a, a pr- lot of similarities. Yeah. 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 And then, and then where'd you head off to? So G4 was the first big post thing. Um, it's great to be able to say now on the flip side of this that I had no idea what I was doing. Uh, and <laughs> thankfully, someone put their stuck their neck out. And uh, I said yes, knowing that I had no idea. And luckily, that first week, I learned as much as I possibly could and just you know, said yes and dove in. So this was post. And um, in hindsight, it's it's pretty crazy how like the the working conditions and the speed. I've never matched the expectational like the speed of what G4 was. So it was a good like training ground that was pretty extreme as far as like mixing entire half hour shows and like a half day and like uh, doing a lot of promos, doing a lot of voice records, a well, lot that, like, of different sharpens things. Well, chops, but in a very certain way because it yeah. wasn't about quality in the sense Absolutely. of we're not going to put it out until it's perfect. You had no choice. Right. Yeah, and I didn't know any better. It was like, here's a half hour or no, here, yeah, here's a half a day. It needs whatever it is at yeah. the end of that half day is what's going on air kind of thing. Now thinking about it, it would be like, I would never work under those condition conditions or put any of my team on it. But at the oh, time it was like, I mean, I would invaluable. imagine every freelancer would talk about a time that they were doing jobs that they would never do now. Yeah. I mean, I think that's part of growing up. But I learned to love the the cool thing about that. G four is such a cool network, and I miss it. Um, but it was very traditional. It was traditional on some senses because they still had like a live element. I wasn't doing it thankfully, but I was preparing things in post for live. But it also just it just showed like some of the most kick butt video games all the whole time, and like video games just have like on a sound front or even on a visual front, it's just like pushing boundaries like crazy. Yeah, um, the sound design on these games are just out of control because the video the visuals are so like grand and huge. Yeah, and so I just became like in love with that. And again, this was another bridge. This was television, but it was in a post environment. But then I'm watching games and listening it's, to that content. Yeah, because I mean. Knowing that you wanted to be in post isn't exactly, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it isn't exactly the same as knowing you want to create these very elaborate, rich soundscapes, sound design. Yeah. Like that's, sound design is a part of post, but it's not exactly synonymous, Yeah, right? So was there a certain, it sounds like the video games is what made you realize I want to make that audio world. Yeah. Uh, you know, sound design and video games are just absolutely critical and crucial. And fast forward, and I started to notice like, oh, they obviously have tons of time. They obviously have tons of time to think because you just can't throw things at the wall and make it this this great. <laughs> yeah. And it turns out to be true. Like we do work in games now, uh, at least with the team. And it's something that it approaches sound in, in almost an equal part uh, as visual. So it's like just a different culture that I really enjoyed. Yeah. And so going to, did you, what, did you leave when you left G four? Was it with a pointed, like did did you make the move or were you forced into a move? How there was a random uh, position on a on a website for a senior sound designer mixer position at the Discovery Channel on the East Coast, and uh, I was like, hey, what the heck? I'm used to just seeing you know throwing things out there and seeing what sticks. Put it out there. Uh, they called me. They flew me out. Interviewed. They were the nicest people on the planet. Uh, and it was also, um, I guess, about ten years ago now. 
and they were just incredibly sweet. And like, you know, obviously now that I'm sitting here talking to you, I'm realizing that I'm attracted to great personalities because that's, what's really important to me. And, and, you know, one discovery at the time was very like close to my childhood and just, I, I, you know, it's like television, but like with a mission now rewind 10 years ago. Uh, so that, and then just the, the people were so friendly and it was just so professional and, uh, and I just loved the environment. So, um, they offered me the position and I took it. So yeah. that's what took me from LA and, you know, a really great piece of advice that I got from one of the studio owners. Cause at the time I was interviewing at another studio to start mixing like larger dramatic, um, television content, like scripted content, really big projects now that, you know, big projects that they were talking about that now in hindsight would be like, holy crap, you, you mix that and you mix that and you mix that. But I decided I, after talking to that studio owner, I was like, I talked to him two days after interviewing for discovery. And, uh, he said, all right, we're gonna get you in the routine. Here's a couple shows that we want to start putting you on so on and so forth. And I was like, ah, you know, I just need to get your professional advice on something. He's, you know, I tend to gravitate to the oldest person in the room Mm -hmm. uh, on a lot of the play, you know, I would gravitate to the people who are about to retire, get advice from them. So I, I think it's a really good trait to have, but I would just ask him point like in an interview, here's the dilemma, the choice that I have. I was just offered a position on the East Coast a couple days days ago at the Discovery Channel. It's so cool that you felt comfortable telling him this. Yeah, that's, that's I, I've gotten crazy. so much advice from just f- listening and and making friends with people who have been in the industry for years and years and years. Uh, had I just stuck to myself and just the you know the my peers. I don't think I would have made a lot of the same decisions, but but people who have who were you know twice my age plus uh, really guided a lot of things. So I, I put that out there, and before I could even finish the sentence, he immediately said like, "Get out of L.A." Um, and I was like, "Well, that's a weird thing to say." I like L.A. I still like L.A. Uh, but he said, but he had a really good point about it. He said. LA is always going to be here and you're going to go over there and you're going to, you're always that that's going to translate back. If you want to come back, you'll be able to come back. No problem. But this is an opportunity that, you know, worth, it's worth trying. If I was in your shoes, I would do it. Um, he owned a studio. He said, I can't really get out of this circumstance. I would like to live somewhere else, but my entire identity and studios built in here. So I did it. And um, and again, like this was all the, the intent of like, oh, you know, we can always go back to LA at any point. And yeah. still it's, it's kind how, of like our, how old were you? Uh, at the time, 26. And so deciding to do another cross-country move. Yes. So and it's been a lot. Your wife was cool with that. She's. I have a very cool wife. Clearly. Very, very supportive wife. Clearly. <laughs> Hopefully she's listening now. Yeah. But but <laughs> she was just willing to figure something out for herself in D.C.? It's a hard thing uh, for her, uh, but she um, she's very supportive, very trusting. And uh, at the time, she in L.A., she had started working like in client services at a big post audio house uh, mm-hmm. because again because she's so supportive uh, she wanted to learn more about what I did and the environment that I was in so she took a job at as being like the person who makes the clients feel great at an audio post place doing really large scale like cartoons and mm. and things like that so she now was understanding it so we went out to the to DC and it was just such a great opportunity went to DC discovery really enjoyed it uh, loved the environment loved the people and um, she started working at Discovery as well. And you, you knew right away that you made the right decision? Yeah. I mean, it was tough being in a brand new place. I mean, I don't really think I could have exactly pinpointed where Maryland was uh, out of everything. Because uh, it's in it's in uh, right on the tip top of Washington, D.C. on the Maryland side in Silver Spring. Uh, so it was a little scary being in a place that I didn't know anybody. But the vibe is just so different. Um, Certainly. I mean, L.A., which L.A. is great. And I would move back in a heartbeat if it was the right thing for us yeah but everyone's i mean it seemed like in my entire world you'd walk the dog and you'd hang out with another dog owner and it'd be like 
I'm a makeup artist for CSI. And it's just like you'd walk, you know, a couple more steps, talk to somebody else. And it'd just be some, it's like everyone is in the industry there to where it's, you know, it's, it's not this yeah, like magical world thing. Like yeah. Like, so it's not like a magical thing. It's like, that's work there. Um, you know, the idea of what you think it might be before you go out there doesn't really match up with the reality of what it actually is. You know, you think that like, if you're working on like the hunger games and it's just like this constant, awesomeness of just magical stuff but a lot of times it's just work you yeah know, it's a lot of work well that, i find that that's a really big difference in the way that a set feels yeah like the la sets they're just so seasoned because they just it, it's it is that's the nine to five of that city i mean granted mm-hmm. it's not from nine to five but you know what i'm saying yeah but so you enjoyed the fact that dc felt a bit more that you were everybody was not in so that world? dc was is that really cool i think and it's in a very unique way now I find myself and I have a lot of friends there and I have uh, a friend in the symphony and uh, I get to go to a lot of very like high end type of little cocktail parties uh, with various people and various friends. And inevitably I see this all the time, even in my neighborhood, way out in the suburbs. Uh, I just, you know, I find myself in a circle or just meeting new people and I'm like almost never the most interesting person. I would say al- like never. It's well, especially DC, like, you, yeah. you know, it, it attracts the world. For, yeah. for all you know which is super cool i mean we were talking about before we went on that every every organization probably has their headquarters there yeah depending on and, if G- and brilliant if it, people yeah, yeah so i'll go around we'll go around a circle or if i'll find myself at a table or a cocktail party or you know just meeting new people and it's oh so what do you do and you know someone's like you know i'm a speech writer for the speaker of the house and yeah, it's just exactly. like i'm you know an economist for the imf uh, i yeah. work i work <laughs> in the government which is code for cia or fbi uh, and then, you know, it gets around to me and they're like, Oh, what do you do? And I'm like, I'm a sound designer for TV and games and all that stuff. Now in other places back in Texas, it'd be like, Oh, please tell me everything about you here. It's just kind of like shake you know, nod. Okay. They don't even know how to cool. process they, that. They, yeah. I love that. Like it's, it, it, it's, it's helpful. I think yeah. it puts it like really, it's hard. It's easy to feel a certain like lofty sense of what we do and it's not accurate. Yeah. And I think it's beneficial to have moments where that becomes clear. I love the fact, I mean, I, just looking at it from, a, you know, 20,000 feet, it just like, we do, inc- like, I think we just do like really cool, sharp, high-end work, but the environment keeps us just very like humbled all the mm-hmm, time, mm-hmm. but in an incredibly positive way. I just never feel like there's never this sense of just like how awesome we are or anything. It's just like, yeah, we're doing our thing as hard as we can. And then you know, putting out the best thing that we can, but there's not like any big, you know, accolades raining down on us on a day-to-day basis. So yeah, at least from peers and stuff. How long did it take to, to realize that you made the right decision? I think it was immediate. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, the pace was a lot different. While things were very nurturing in the environment that I was in in LA, it was even more so in DC. Uh, I came in off of G4 being incredibly aggressive in terms of how much time, like how quickly time, you need to get time things and done. just attitude. I was just also very attitude. aggressive, but not in a negative way, just very aggressive and in, in like nervousness, like mm. being very concerned of making sure that I'm doing the right thing at all times. Cause the, the turnaround time at, at G4 was so quick. It's nerve wracking. Everything at just discovery was much slower paced, uh, to a giant magnitude difference. <laughs> and I even got a talking to, uh, very gentle talking to saying like, Hey, I know you came from a very aggressive place, but you just don't have to be that aggressive here. It's, it's cool. It's gonna, you're gonna do a great job. And that must've felt so uplifting. Yeah. I mean, and also creative, like creatively inducing, like, you know, letting your mind 
kind of spend some time yes. on things instead of needing to get it out so quick. Yeah, there's a um, it, it was a nice healthy balance. There's there's definitely a bit of who can do it the fastest pride uh, in the audio world. Uh, I'll see this occasionally pop up. Uh, between people or like I did this commercial in X amount of time or blah blah or I did this in X amount of time. It's a talking point when when talking talking about project. Yeah, it's a talking point and uh, it's a talking point I I dislike on I completely despise because it just has nothing to do. I don't see the value in that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there is you know, there's definitely value in being in your tools being transparent. Money. Yeah, and you know, you knowing your tool, you know. Pro Tools is my instrument and all of everything that's associated around it. You need to be able to play your instrument, right? And um, you need to be able to play it very efficiently to where you're just you, what oh, you're. So people are trying to like flaunt their competency in that, basically. Yeah, and you know that's that's something. One of the reasons, which I'm sure we'll get to, that I kind of started the business was to t- change the philosophy on that. Because well, uh, like, how long were you in this role? Three years. Three years. Yep. Uh, which I really enjoyed. It was a really great position that I could have retired from for sure. But at the time, I got it when I was 26 years old, and um, you know, I was already a senior sound designer position at you know, arguably the most respected network in the country, and um, they were doing really cool cool things at the time. I was around Planet Earth and uh, just all of the things surrounding that. Wow. Uh, it was a very special time. Um, but over those three years, uh, still being yeah, what makes someone want to get away from that? Um, I wanted to do tons of different content. I, I just, I don't think I was content with the single discovery content. Mm. I love discovery and I still love discovery and I love the people over there. I love the attitude. Uh, but I wanted it to be a piece of the puzzle and the, a piece of what I worked on, but not everything all consuming because still it, the environment itself does, does make it very singular focus and it starts to build its own little way of thought in the, in that circle. And I like being challenged from so many different directions and thinking about things from so many different angles. Yeah. I mean, either way, I still think a lot of people, the job security and at a prestige place, you know, what do you think it is about your mindset or personality where you have the, I guess, faith in yourself to like, to move on from things that some people would hold on to for dear life? Yeah, I didn't have to. I didn't really have to at the time. Now, if I would, have, if I had that position later Meaning in life, because or you didn't now, have a, like kids, I didn't or have kids. Yeah, yeah. I, so I didn't have kids. I didn't have, and maybe if I if I still had a child, I may have made that same decision. Mm-hmm. But at that point, we had moved so many times. So we met in Arkansas to Texas to L.A. to briefly in Nashville, back to L.A., and now we're in Maryland, and then little moves within all of those. So we were very used to change, change, and yeah. saying, "Well, what if this?" Well, there's only one way to find out, right? And doing it. And so we did that often. Um, no, once change becomes a constant, you really yeah. do get used to it. And I and I enjoy, you know, it's anytime things get a little too settled in the mind, I like shaking things up in some sort of way, uh, even to today. It's creatively healthy. Yeah. So, um, so I, you know, doing it, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I think the content was really good. But I wanted to do lots of other things. Uh, namely, I wanted to work for other networks. And I wanted to work in video game stuff or specifically trailers. Uh, I wanted to how do, do... How do you think you're the... In terms of like, obviously the content, wanting to work in different content. But mm-hmm. in terms of the technical stuff, have you... Did you... Did your mind grow in that sense too? Where now it's like yeah. these really like drastic, uh, incredible, deep soundscapes. Like were you making that a discovery or is that where you, you, you wanted to do that after? It was partial. Uh, wasn't as, wasn't as far as I wanted to go yeah. with things. Uh, I wanted to do 
you know, advertising, games, trailers, documentaries, films, all kinds of stuff. You know, that's exactly what we do now. Lots of different things. Yeah, and, it's uh, all over the map. What's amazing about uh, the, what I was urged, what I was wanting to go toward, which is exactly what we, what, where it is now, is I wanted all these different schools of thought, all of these different approaches to influence other areas that have no way, like don't approach it that way. For example, Video game culture, at least in the game design industry, is very aggressive on sound. It is taken very seriously. It is give, it's given generally the appropriate time to do things. Now, mm-hmm. that's not global, and I'm sure that some people work in negative environments or, or where it's not taken so seriously, but it is taken very seriously. Uh, something like a television show, like a reality television show, not taken seriously at all. We don't even pursue it anymore. Of it's course. just something that's so... like. I don't know. We're such a, just a cog in a wheel that's yep. that's just an inconvenience that I just don't want to do it. Almost every department yeah. goes that way in that world. Yeah. So, um, but where it is positive is taking something like a deep, rich textural environment that mm. we might work on for a game or a trailer or something, and then taking that approach and seriousness onto something like a documentary. We like that that feel, and not thinking of a documentary as just like okay, we're just going to clean up the dialogue and you know push the music, and then we're we're done. Uh, we want. Uh, our richness and soundscapes to be able to carry the environment of what's actually happening there. Well, yeah, I mean, you do that in a doc where they didn't have the time to make the visuals as pristine as possible. You give that a rich soundscape. I mean, that is just fully launching the doc's aesthetic overall into a different place. Yeah. So, I mean, when you were leaving, at what point did the business and starting a business enter the mind uh, in my basement I, I had a little rig and I was <laughs> that's exactly where it happened yeah exactly where it happened uh, I was doing little side jobs here and there and uh, one thing led to another and we decided that you know we could probably survive a little while we'll take a, a big cut but let's try it to see what will happen this was the moment after discovery kind of during the ending there I was getting a little um, stagnant on the discovery side it was it was great it was just it wasn't like really challenging my mind and so it was kind of coming in doing my thing leaving coming in doing my thing leaving and i and i i'm kind of addicted to the to the change and and new things and just being Mm -hmm. challenged constantly Mm -hmm. and um i think everybody on my team would probably think that like yes it's constant challenge because you know i could we could focus on a single genre like if we were only doing television commercials like then that would be a little easier because that's all we're thinking about every single day all day but you know someone can come in and do a commercial the next day it could be a documentary the next day it could be like a long project or one day it could be just like a little game project or it's just there's so many different varieties of things and uh, I just want to be like constantly challenged at work and not feel like it's just this thing where I kind of go in well when you started the pro the the, the the company what was what was your goals going in and how were your expectations about what the experience of starting a company would be like do you feel like you accurately assess that or were there things that <laughs> like two, come up and slapped you in the face two phases to that <laughs> uh, sure. business is Business is, is something that definitely comes up and slaps you in the face. Yeah. Uh, getting a name and getting a website is definitely not a business. It's a thing. It's a name. It's like a moniker, but it's not like a business. Uh, business is the part that slapped me in the face. Where, you know, payroll, legal aspect, taxes, uh, health insurance, like just all of the, you know, workers comp. Being uh, a business owner. You know, hiring, firing, uh, all of that stuff over time turned into like, whoa, okay, this is like a serious, serious thing. Now, what I was trying to achieve, uh, which is definitely uh, still priority number one, is a cultural change in how people think about sound in general. It, I, I felt like 
through the experience through LA, through most of my career discovery, all that stuff, it sounded, it just, the, it was, sound was relegated to this technical thing where the go, you go to the technicians and the engineer minds to go like, just solve this little Instead problem. Instead of being an artist? Absolutely. Instead of it being like. That's what you wanted to I become. want, I, sound is an artistic, like can move you, like you can, yeah. you can. Says the former musician. Yeah. Sense. You know, it's like, uh, you know, th- you know, even something to, to make it just a simple, you know, putting wind in a track. Like, yeah, it's like you can go to, you know, some sound effects site and wind. Okay, that sounds acceptable. Put it in there. Depending on the mood or the visuals or the color or the framing or yeah, all kinds wind, of like wind in and of itself can sound so many different ways. And yeah, we can ways, make it dissonant. We yeah. can make it very, you know, airy. We can make it positive. We can make you feel good. You know, we can make you feel, you know, tense. And you can do that, multiply that by a million because every painting. single sound. Yeah, so it's like we're painting with these different colors. And I felt like, I just I just didn't like being in, in like this engineer-like solving this problem mode. And, and to, to some extent, a lot of, you know, a lot of people in that industry do that to themselves. Mm. Because do you think for safety... Or for just purely it's what they've grown used to and they don't think... Like how many people are also sitting there wishing that it wasn't that way? There could be more. There's, I'm sure that there's a lot more. Is there uh, a lot, yeah? Because like, is there a certain amount of just complacency that this is how we're viewed and it's fine? There's definitely that too. Yeah. Um, there, it, it's just this is the... Not even like this is the way we're viewed. This is just who the type of this person. This is how I view myself. The, the type of people, like I, I get, um, for every position we put out for a sound designer, we get anywhere from 500 to 1,000 resumes. It is the nature Seriously. of the people who are gravitated typically to the industry. Um, not that that's a bad thing. It's that, but the vast majority of what we see are like someone who wants to talk tech. I, I don't like talking tech. I, I like talking imagine. creative. I can't imagine going through a 1,000 resumes. Yep. Wow. Well, before we get to that a little bit, when you started, it started with how many people? Uh, me. Just you? Just me, yep. And how did it grow? What were you doing? What, what were the projects that you were doing first? Um, so, uh, li- like, network pro- promos, which are commercials for the networks. The mm-hmm. things like, you know, coming up on Deadliest Sketch. Yep. This, that, and the other thing next Tuesday at 9. So, did you, like, leverage your relationship with Discovery to turn that into... Sort of. I never, you know, especially at first, it took a lot of years before I worked directly with Discovery. Okay. Because that was a little bit of a sore point, and I could understand that. Like, I was, I didn't mm. walk out the door and then immediately, like, bang on every producer's door that I, that I did. Right. Yeah, I just felt weird about that. You about that, for sure. Yes, but there were, there are a lot of external vendors who do provide those, like, video services, graphics to Discovery. Oh, that's, that's um, that's all ec- out of house. Okay. So like outside vendors. So there'd be like, Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. That the other production companies. So it wasn't even the people that you knew. Yeah. So we do a you. lot of work for like production companies who might have anywhere from one to five editors with maybe one to three producers, um, maybe a small graphics team and, uh, no audio. Cause audio is just a very expensive thing. And it's very much like a money suck, uh, for a lot of different reasons. Um, both salary, the, the equipment, the upgrades, the room, all kinds of stuff. So um, we tend to get a lot of work from like groups that are kind of in that 
that realm where they don't really want to like dive headfirst in this whole new thing. Mm. They'd rather spend a, you know, a lot more per project to get the absolute best thing they could possibly get than and not spend on the upkeep of doing it. And maybe hire somebody who's like very inexperienced, who is going to kind of be there all day long and waiting for their stuff. So it's just, it's kind of a trade off, you know, it's mm-hmm. like if someone doesn't spend very much well, money. On it. Yeah. So it's like, you can either just, you can spend the same amount of m- much money, but it's just going to feel a lot more expensive. At what point did you realize that your business wasn't going to tank? Ooh, um, like how scary? Five years. Five years. Five years, yeah. Five years. Lots of things how, had five years. Yeah, I mean, how scary was it in the beginning? How long until like you started getting consistent work? Like when did you start hiring new people? Other uh, Like when was yeah. it not just you? The first hire, I believe, was, only, was probably about a year in. And of course, this was me just burning myself from both ends all day and all night saying yes to everything yeah. that could possibly come through you know work at night work in the middle of the night i had things you know hey this isn't going to come till 2 a.m but we need it by like 4 a.m can you do that yes of course i can <laughs> let's do that um so just saying yes to to everything and then getting to a point where just like i can't live like this and it seemed like the most monumental thing in the entire world at the time to hire a person how could I ever afford this? Cause you just look at it whenever you don't really know business, you just look at it from a sense of just like, you know, okay, this is what I'm making subtract. This is what someone would make for a yearly salary right. equals this. It's not really like that. It's not like you just, cause sub- you're not factoring in how much more work you could be getting, right? You're not factoring like the, your time to go out and, and make relationships, build relationships. It's more of a weekly calculation. So, you know, giving advice to somebody who might be hiring a first or a second person, it's not so you don't need to look at the big part of that. You need to look at like weekly calculations, monthly calculations, but then also really focus on, well, how much time does that free me up? Because now it's like, at the time, it's like, I I need to, I'm starting to pull myself to a higher level. I want to be able to review other people's work and guide them and train them. Uh, but hiring somebody's hard. Uh, you hire somebody, um, it feels incredibly expensive at first. You spend even you, you, your workload doubles cause you're training that person. Mm. Um, it was about a year in whenever I did the first, first hire. Uh, but then over and time, was that a successful experience? The first one was not. What went wrong? I hired a very close friend. Mm. <laughs> Love him, but it did not work. Yeah, which is something I wouldn't do now. Right, uh, which I've learned. Yeah, uh, it's a very, very hard thing uh, to to work with a very, very close friend. Yeah. Uh, so that was my first. We had another person um, come in intern shortly after that, and yeah, so it was like then just like another hire, and then eventually it was just kind of like okay, we can potentially now my wife can come do all of the emailing while I'm working uh, situation. So then at some point she was a teacher, and then we pulled her over so she became our producer it was me another person so i mean technically there was like one salary where my wife was kind of like the right. iffy iffy side salary wise so i was still like dipping my toe into business and it takes a little time to do it but then yeah it's like one thing led to another and it's really just like whenever i get so slammed that i can't think straight it's like okay i've got to hire like i'm too busy and so i, I hire and then um, that's your indicator yeah like once my it gets, life once it gets untenable Again, if I can't take a vacation, which I mean, I couldn't take a vacation until five years. Uh, if I can't um, think straight, if I'm miserable, um, you know, that's another thing. It's it's important to like really evaluate your actual life happiness. Oh yeah, because that's important. I don't want to. It just, actually helps your work too, which people tend to like look over, which yeah. I don't understand. I, I mean, what's the point if you're miserable? Yeah. What, I mean, what's the point of all this stuff if you're just if you just hate? your day to day, if you're dreading all the work that's coming up, just and there's, there's time and places to, to be like, Oh man, I have a really busy day. Uh, it's just, there's time for that and that's fine. And it's time and it's good to work hard and, and all that. But, um, but whenever it's just consistent, constant 
day, night, weekend, over and over and over and over again. Uh, I did that for a while, especially whenever I was in LA. I was working very consistently 60 to 80 hours a week yeah. uh, between multiple jobs. I mean, it was it was crazy. When you get... So you said it took five years to feel like it wasn't going to tank. Mm-hmm. How long until you, until you felt like it was doing well and like you were excited, like it was growing, it was taking on... Because you take on huge jobs now. You take on yeah. you take on big jobs, success, like um, successful projects, notable projects like that. Go to Sundance and South by Southwest and other things. And um, the work you're doing is for big brands and big names, and it's high end. Like when when did you realize that like that was all gonna that, that was all happening, and it was the, there was a consistency to it. And like, did that? How do you deal with that now? Does it get to your head? No, uh, five years was is absolutely the answer, and it was almost so, to so, the day. So basically, know. you're equating your business not tanking with that success that I just listed for me feeling that it was not going to tank or feeling like it was incredibly volatile and like at every, any moment something could, could, you know, the tides can turn. Mm -hmm. Um, everything was kind of like the five year mark. Five years is also whenever I hired a producer for the first time. Uh, so at the time I think, uh, somewhere around the five year mark, I was, managing it was me and three other sound designers uh so i was still mixing constantly at the time but then it was to a point where it's just like i just couldn't handle the the email flow the meetings the travel a lot of things getting in the way of actually doing the work exactly yeah so hiring a producer was really you know this big turning point and she's fantastic and uh just makes my life a lot easier. And so five years really changed so many things. I went like the first five years of the business, I was just burning it constantly, like just hustling constantly. And um, also just trying to, you know, build variety in the, in the client base, build, um, build a team, build a culture, build a, build the way that I believed that something should go, which is, which is counterintuitive in some cases to the industry. And uh, I just don't like, we, I want, like I said before, I want people to be able to play the instrument of, of the tools that we're, we're using. Mm. Um, I don't want to get so caught up in processing and tools and plugins and whatever the latest and greatest is that we start to like stop listening to what an actual collaborator is expecting. Because mm. sometimes you can suck all of the noise out of a microphone, then it may project some negative aspects to it. So, um, so counterintuitive is I just, I really feel like we have a culture of talking about the big picture. Now, not to say that we don't talk about tech. We do, of course. Uh, but we tell, we always put it with the framework of like what story is being told, because if you can actually grasp the story, it affects all of the decisions that you make. Um, the toughest time, especially when like new sound designers come in is, uh, is they're so like, you know, they, they don't see the forest from the trees and they're just like tech, tech, tech. Okay. Uh, input dialogue into this and spit this out and then input sound effects into this and then spit this out and then input music into this and spit this out, put those together and spit that out. But then there's no heart to it at all. And it's obvious. And it feels that way. It feels that way. And it's really obvious. And you know, it's, it's a, um, we, we have a very supportive way that we work. Uh, I guess another, this brings me to another point the, the, the thing that in most places is that most sound designers are very siloed. Uh, they very work kind of in their own world and there's not a lot of like cross uh, ideas or a lot of sound designers saying, well, you know what you, you take a pass at this, you know, 
eliminate what's what's not, not working really part of the add some new stuff no it's just not part of the culture yeah. so we do like the way that we operate is um somebody might initially work on it but then throw it, toss it over to somebody else just for a fresh years and then toss it over to me through uh frame io or something and i'll give some notes and then we'll do a few rounds of notes like back and forth really thinking about story what the point is before it ever goes to like who we're working is for. there a lead sound designer on that uh, typically, typically it'll like be like it'll kind of get assigned to who's going to be the lead. Uh, I operate, and, and that this lead is, person gets that sound design credit, even if everybody else is working on it. It depends. Does Most that get of the sticky? stuff we work on don't aren't don't really aren't really credit based. Like gotcha. so many things, and only stuff like if we're working like a documentary yeah. in some way, short or long. Yeah, and those credits are fine. Uh, mm-hmm. We'll still credit things normally uh, mm-hmm. on those type of things when credits are, are applicable. There. Yeah, uh, you know, we'll put somebody that's on the dialogue editor. Someone, yeah, on I'm sound just curious because that, that's a part of I, I find that's part of team morale. Yeah, as well. Um, a lot of things just uh, like commercials and things like that. Yeah, no one. It's uh, it's you know. Yeah, a lot right. of times we don't even get credit for most things. Uh, if, if we're lucky, if we get like a like a credit on Vimeo just as de facto sound. Uh, but no, we. But that's also something that you know somebody who might lead that we bounce things back and forth. But you know, I definitely don't want it to be a situation where I'm assumed the lead on everything. Uh, I feel like I operate very much. And this is what I wanted from the beginning to operate very much like a creative director within the studio. I don't call myself a creative director unless I'm trying to explain what I do. It makes sense, especially hearing. Throughout this conversation, yep. make, that that makes sense, and I guess I wanted. I was curious, you know, how do you see yourself evolving in the craft, especially now that you are from more of a top level, looking at a lot of other people doing work that you are making comments on? Because, like, I know for me, as either a director or a cinematographer, I'm going through. I go through periods of aesthetics, and then those morph and change and evolve. Mm-hmm. What What do you see yourself evolving from and to or towards? Fostering more people to step up to that creative director type role. Uh, So you're answering from a business perspective. Yeah. Interesting. Um, So I want to eliminate the tedious aspects of the business for my life, focus (laughs) solely on creative, as much as I can, as we all want to uh, be doing. Yeah. But but there's certain aspects. I do need to be the expert on every single thing that's going on in my business. I do have to create workflows. I do have to make sure we're we're using the proper techniques and we're using them in the proper way uh, because that from a business standpoint can cost a lot of money if someone's kind of going off the rails and doing things on their own mm-hmm. versus other things. Yeah. Uh, Cause time is money with everything. And, um, but what I would like to see is as far as myself evolve. Yeah. Artistically like the, from the sound. Design. I'm really happy with what, and, and again, five years, which that five year mark happened about almost two years ago. Okay. Um, but what my goal was in sense, as far as my own life in particular is I did want to build relationships talk high creative all the time, um, whether it be with the team, with with collaborators, uh, and then go from room to room and listen to cool stuff all day long. Yeah. Like, I just want to, I just, I love sound design. I love being, I love like getting, you know, goosebumps whenever I hear something really cool or like having some big goofy grin as I'm listening to something. And I just, I just love that. Like, I don't have the desire to like do like the most detail of detail work on everything. I have the desire to like, like the biggest aspect of like what sound can do to support a story. I want to be talking about that all day long. And that's my most, most valuable part of this. I try to evaluate my life and just like, where am I most valuable? Like I am not personally as a business owner, as a, as a, as a sound designer, my most value isn't in like importing materials and like going through details. There's uh, other people who, who can do that and have be even better and be more undisturbed while they work on that. Mm -hmm. Uh, My, my most important 
aspect of, of running the business and running the creative is really thinking about uh, the highest level of things and then also trusting people with their judgments as well and knowing where yeah. knowing That's where something's subjective between me and someone else yeah. and uh, and also just uh, I also have long relationships with a lot of the people that we work with so I, I understand their preferences so I'm kind of like a just a first read based off mm-hmm. of the people that we know mm-hmm. what bigger goals moving forward for the company and for yourself what, what are you hoping what are you hoping to achieve building it just an incredible creative team. I don't have a size in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a time where I thought, you know, three sound designers and a producer was the absolute perfect size, but we've gone beyond that. <laughs> but it's really more out of necessity. And uh, if if we're being, a tr- if filmmakers and commercial directors and game designers are being attracted to this idea that we're putting out there, we'll grow accordingly you yeah. know whether do you have any be a- types of projects that you're hoping to grab and be a part of do you have do you have do you have projects that you're not doing now that you are like i'm, I'm i want to get to a point where they are coming to us yes and things are and again uh, oddly to the five-year mark is where we was again a part where we did more people reached out to us than we reached out to them mm. five years is a very big step in any business and um and it seems like a lot of people have that so a lot of people are discouraged leading up to that because it's very hard. Five years is a huge milestone. So yes, I I just want to attract the right people. I love commercials. I love spots. I love short things. I love short documentary style content. I love like what the internet is putting out with, with, you know, five to 10 minute long episode, episodic documentaries. I feel like that's, that's really kind of the future of what 30 minute television shows are right now is, is five to 10 minute long series content for other things. We're doing a lot of that. Um, I love documentaries. Uh, I love um, video games, whether it be the end game. I especially love trailers because uh, it's just so, you know, just so much content and so much meat packed into a short amount of time. I love audio only stuff. I love uh, all kinds of things. And I, and I think the goal is just to attract, like put that out there to attract fantastic people who see eye to eye with us and the importance. What, what kind of qualities are you looking for? Humble. Uh, the, the best quality as far as the people is like humbleness, but just with meat of work. Uh, for example, where I might talk to somebody and I look at their work and I'm like, whoa, this is so good. But then whenever I talk to them, they're just very gentle and kind and thoughtful. And um, those are the folks that like we do the most. Uh, we get to the deepest parts of the creative together because mm. they, they're approaching it from a, um, you know, they want to hear what we want to do. They want to like a, see what we do, but then also kind of craft back and forth. Uh, the things that I'm not looking for are whenever people are just rude, like just unnecessarily rude. I've seen that so much in like the industry. I want no part of it. This seems like a theme in in all of our discussion is how much that those two things on either side uh, have mattered for you and has guided your decision making in your whole career. And I learned that today with Jared because he was, this is a great count. I should just come here for counseling. (laughs) (laughs) That that, that didn't dawn on you prior? No, it didn't. Not the theme, not the like thematic. I guess I haven't really gone from like point A all the way through point B with Mm. the theme of that I'm just attracted to really good people, like nice people. And it's weird that like, even whenever you're asking me like, what goals do you have for the company? My mind, I think that what most people would expect me to say is like, oh, this project or that project or this big TV show or that big TV show. But my mind is going to people like constantly. I love cool people. Like I love relationships and I love like gelling with people. Yeah. 
more than anything. Like if it, I mean, even if it's, even if you look at our website or Vimeo or whatever, um, that's, that's the, the, just the most blatant skimming of the top, the 2% of things that just show the best on the internet. Right. I mean, 98% of what right? we do is, is just with very cool people, but it's not super showy. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and that's something that we get a lot and, uh, where people are just like, I don't know if you really do this type of stuff or, you know, we just have some corporate videos or this or that or whatever, you know, if you want to do something like that, then it's like, heck yeah. Like you're, if you're cool, yes. Like I don't really It's get- about who you're spending each and every day with either in your own in your own building or the people that you are dealing with in terms of clients either on the phone or at meetings or on email Mm -hmm. like because my last question was what's a meaningful life to you i think we know the answer to that relationships yeah people um friendships uh you know, if I can use this passion that I have in sound to help support other people's meaningful stories and what they want to put behind, uh, you know, put their life into all the while developing like an actual friendship with someone where we can get together and just talk about life and not talk about work. And what's cool is most people we work with are like that. Cause I was going to say, you've, you've already found that like there isn't this whole someday thing happening. Yeah. It's a, it's a new feeling. Uh, like I keep mo- moving back to the five year mark. Um, it's been two years since. It's been a couple years, and I'm and I would say that I am definitely uh, in the happiest time of my life at the moment. I want to maintain that, grow it. Uh, I want to also include that in the culture of the the studio. I want other people because it took me you know 15 years plus to find that journey into that into that path. Uh, I do want others. I want to build the culture where a very aggressive um, you know sound designers who are incredibly passionate about what they're doing mm. and uh, all the while building relationships and then building friendships in the studio, outside of the studio, uh, all of that. I just, you know, w- the friendships that are around, whether it in or out or clients or collaborators or everything, it's just, um, it's, it's really important. I, I've said before, like I would rather just be an electrician if everyone was mean and horrible people it's not worth it. Like it's not worth, you know, killing yourself with terrible people for the, for the chance to post something on Facebook one day on some project that you work on to where a couple people from your high school who probably won't care might care. You know, it's like, it's like, it's that's just a very, that's it's a just very not worth dark it. place that no one, yeah, you don't. And what's it's nice a dark is place, but I think that a lot of people are motivated by how other people might view oh, them. Yeah, no, and I'm that's not saying very that you dangerous. Were wrong. I'm yeah. saying it's it's dark and it's real and like what's nice I think is that a story like yours is also reinforcing that if you go after the right things and like the consequences are you know positive mm-hmm. fruitful. Yeah. So I think where, so. Where can people find you or find uh your your de facto sound online? Yeah, what, what so kind? de facto sound.com all of the handles are de facto sound. So de facto sound on Twitter, Facebook, uh, all of that, Vimeo. Um, that's that's the meat of it. Cool, man. Yep. Well, thanks so much for uh, for coming on. It's always great to get inside someone else's head for a while. And thanks for the counseling. <laughs>